Well, good morning. Happy Christmas. December 2nd. Can you believe that? It's crazy. And we did this. I, it's hard to believe that Battlefield is over. Today's the last day of Battlefield of the Mind. Isn't that 12 weeks? And then if you've got your bulletin out, if you're a note taker, I'm sorry, but you don't have any spot to take notes today. So you can just like grab an envelope and write on those like I do. Uh, but what we've done, I've curated every, every scripture in the series in the middle of the bulletin. And uh, these are the ones that, that, these are scriptures that have been important to, my, to me in my life and in this process of transformation and of the renewing of the mind. So uh, review them all and, you know, if you can, if one resonates with you, you can watch the old sermon or something like that. But uh, today's the last day. Today, or did anybody get last week's scripture? Did anybody feel bold enough to stand up? Mark, let's hear it. Perfecto! All right, send that man some ice cream in the mail. I'm very proud of you. That's, that's so cool. All right, so that's kind of the whole theme of this whole series is transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a battlefield that's going on in your mind. There's a war that's being waged for not just your soul, but for your mind. The way that we see things as believers, the way you should see things, is that your salvation is secure. But that doesn't mean that your mind is. It doesn't mean that you're stuck. It doesn't mean that you're suffocating. And we need to change the way that, uh, that we view ourselves, that we view our circumstances. We need to change our lens. We need to see things differently, hear things differently, and even view ourselves differently. So this is... Hopefully this is the icing on the cake so that we don't go back to old thinking habits and old patterns of thought. All right, uh, one of the things that I like to do in this pattern of this world, is, did you guys ever, did you guys take a, 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 some time and think about the patterns of this world? Like which ones you're aware of and maybe which ones that you haven't been aware of that, that have sucked you in? So like if you're in a shopping frenzy, Maybe you realize, you know what? There's a pattern that I'm like, I could quite possibly be falling into. Like, I don't need this stuff, but I want to buy this stuff, right? Have you ever been there? I don't need this, but I want this. So hopefully you've been aware of that. Now, one of the things that I do, one of the, my major time wasters, one of these uh, patterns, this internet, uh, I spend too much time on. I want to show you some of them. So I love the Darwin Awards. You familiar with the Darwin Awards? Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's, let's show a couple of them. So these are two guys in a pool. They're drinking beer, of course, among other things. And they've got their radio powered by a power strip that's floating in the pool on flip-flops. Not too bright, is it? Oh, my God. Like, oh. Isn't that terrifying? Okay, let's go to the next one. Think safety first. It's kind of like here at Granite Creek. Like, we just like, I know, right? We've got some nativity videos of set up where we've got Mark on a forklift hanging banners, which is not like, you know, not OSHA uh, material there. 
So anyway, so he's thinking safety first. He's actually hanging a safety banner, not on a ladder, but he's got his feet precariously on handrails. Right? Yeah, the next one's my favorite. Let's do this one. So it's kind of hard to see, but this guy has found a really cute teddy bear that he decides that he's going to pick up by the, the back of its neck and take a selfie. And, then, and there's a the big mama bear in the back. So you know what's going to happen, right? The guy's dead. And, like, look at him. Doesn't he kind of deserve it? Like, really? Like, what, I mean, if you're going to play around with a cub in the wilderness and you don't have enough common sense that there could possibly be the mama bear around, then you just might get eaten. If you want to power your radio in the bathtub and float the power strip on something, you just might get electrocuted, right? You know, if you're just doing dumb things, you just might fall off the ladder. I mean, just, so we get it, right? And we've all made dumb mistakes. We've all made stupid decisions. It's usually done by men. And I could spend way too much time, like, like I could go all day watching the Darwin Awards. <laughs> And again, it usually involves Russians and motorcycles. And, but, um, but we've all done it. We've all done dumb things that just either hurt us or messed up our life or did something stupid. We've all done it. Um, and most of the time, you deserve it. Hmm? Right? Like, you just... You deserve it because you're just not the, like in this one area, you're just not the brightest person on the planet. And, um, you know, there just needs to be some thinning of the herd, you know, this the natural selection of things. Have you ever heard of that term, thinning of the herd? The herd thins itself out because it's not too bright. So there, 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 there's part of that that's going on, but that's actually not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about when we hurt ourselves, when we make dumb mistakes. You ready for this? But we know better? Have you ever done that? So this one isn't about intelligence. This one isn't about just, you know, not playing with a full deck. This one's different. And actually, uh, when you do dumb things to hurt yourself or to hurt your family or to, to screw up your life, and you know it, but you don't know why, there is a sinister spirit behind that. There is this malevolent force that we don't necessarily see that causes us to cut down the branch that we're sitting on. Let's show the next one. All right. So here's the gal. She's sitting on the, the, the tree, and she's sawing it off, right? But here's the problem. This gal's smart. One, she's not a man. Yeah, did you catch that? And so she knows better, right? Why is she doing it? Why is she sawing off her own branch? We've done this. We've all done it. We have all taken part in self-sabotage. And sabotage, 
It's, it's killer. We have to talk about self-sabotage today because in the series that we're ending on today, some of you have, have gotten the word of God inside of you. Some of you have held every thought captive and you're making them obedient to Christ. Some of you have, uh, have uh, put your mind on heavenly things and not on earthly desires. Some of you are, are working the problems. And when you get to a level of success, when you begin the transformation process, the next major trick of the enemy of God is self-sabotage. And we've got some incredible illustrations and stories from the Bible. So get your Bibles out, and we're going to talk about why we do it and how to stop it. How to move on, how to move forward. Uh, let's look at, uh, I'm going to read the scriptures and then I'm just going to put the Bible down and we're just going to talk, okay? Let's do uh, Numbers 11 uh, verses 5, verse 5. This is right out of the Exodus. So Moses has led the, the children of God uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. Not quite. They've gone, they've gone on a long camping expedition. Numbers 11, verse 5. Meanwhile, the rabble among the people, among God's people, they had a strong craving for other food. And the Israelites wept, and they whined, and they complained, and they said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, along with cucumbers, and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to eat but manna. Aww. What's manna? It's bread from heaven. I mean, they're literally complaining about supernatural bread. Amazing. Numbers chapter 16. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abram, the sons of Elab. But they said, we're not going to come. So the leader's saying, look, let's get together. We need to talk some stuff out. We're not going to come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Okay, what's, a pro what's the problem with what I just read there? What are, they, what are they referring to as the land flowing with milk and honey? It's Egypt. They got it completely backwards. Egypt is not the land flowing with milk and honey. It's not the promised land. It is the land of slavery, oppression, and the very seat of quite possibly Satan himself. Have you led us out here in the wilderness to kill us? And now... You also want to lord over us. Moreover, you haven't uh, brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, or you've given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? We're not going to come. We're out. Uh, incidentally, Moses like heartbroken over this. This is the beginnings of Korah's rebellion. And we'll stop there. So let me, let me explain to you what's going on. So Moses... 
he gets this call of God on his life. We consider him one of the best leaders the planet has ever seen. He led a million plus people out of slavery, like full-blown whip-cracking, back-breaking slavery. And he, he convinces a million people, like, let's go. There's something better. And he leads them into the desert. And as they're on their way into this, this desert, they, they, they see the miracles. They see the parting of the Red Sea. They see uh, columns of fire at night and clouds that guide them around and, and bread from heavens where they don't have to eat. And they get ready. God leads them into this wilderness, into the desert, whether it's Sinai or Arabia. I'm going to nerd out on you. I can't help it. I think it's Arabia, by the way. We don't know where the, the desert was. But it was hot. It was uncomfortable. There was no water. It was difficult. But here's the thing. God led them into this wilderness experience. Okay, students, how long were they there? 40 years in the desert. Like, if you were backpacking across Europe and you went there and you're like, I'm going to backpack from Egypt to Israel and you're in decent shape, it would take you 11 days. And it was an 11-day walk. An 11-day walk. It took them 40 years. Okay, so they had a million people with them. And they, you know, they had, you know, kids and families and animals and all of Egypt's gold. That's right. They looted the place before they left. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's like the whole Robin Hood thing. Does anybody have a problem with Robin Hood? Of course not. You steal from the rich and give to the poor. That's what's going on. So maybe, how do you move? You could probably move a million people in a month, two months, move 40 years. So they're in this thing. And this is when they began to say, this sucks. Like we have been, Moses, we have been camping for 40 years. We're tired of the bread of heaven. We want some meats. We want some fish. We want some cucumbers. This stinks. When are we going to, you promised us, you promised us something better. You promised us this land flowing with milk and honey. Where is it? It, and they even say this, it would be better if we, we were better off in Egypt. And so then there's this, this insurgence that begins to boil up. It's called Korah's Rebellion. And then read it, just go to the references that I gave you earlier. It's an awesome, awesome story. So Korah and these two guys that, that we talked about and 250 other leaders of Israel, they began to call out Moses and Aaron, and they began to question his leadership, and they began to complain, and they began to whine, and they just get really snarky. And then they get on Facebook, and then they just like, right? And they're like, yeah, it's time for a leadership change. Because we want to go back to Egypt. Slavery is better than this. 
We think that you let us out here so that we can die. And Moses, again, he's heartbroken. And here's the, here's the fun part. This is what happens. So 250 complainers and whiners and gripers. They can't see anything. They can't even recognize that they are literally eating bread from heaven. Right? They have forgotten their history with God. They have forgotten about the divine miracles and the intervention. And more importantly, the, the, the salvation from slavery. Come on. And they want to go back to that. And, and the way that the scriptures read, God's, he's kind of ticked off. And this is, this is awesome. The, like they're, they're baiting Moses and Aaron. And the, before them, the ground opens up and it eats 250 people, kills them dead. Korah and these other dudes kills them. Isn't that awesome? I think it's really cool. I mean, this is my inner junior high boy talking here. But it's awesome. And then there were some other guys that didn't see what was going on. They didn't get invited to the assembly. Some a thousand plus other individuals, Israelites. And they're like, hey, uh, we kind of liked Korah and those guys. We kind of liked what they were saying. Like they were promising us fish and cucumbers and melons and things. Where'd they go? Where'd they disappear to, right? And so... See, the, the, the seed of complaining and whining and griping was still there. And so the story gets even better. So there's just like a thousand plus normal people. God smites them all with fire from heaven, burns them all to death. Isn't that awesome? It's like it comes out. Yes. I'm sure you have people in your life where you wish, God, would you just please send some fire from heaven and just can completely consume these fools? Because they're driving me nuts. It doesn't work that way. I've tried. But it's just, it's just an amazing picture of, of how God views certain mentalities that gets into us. Like this wilderness mentality, this wilderness idea, this wilderness mindset. I mean, it is so evil and so persuasive. And we just buy it, and we just eat it up. But here's the thing that what's really going on. Like, they just they continue to, to, to advance, and they, they slowly gain ground here and there. They encounter bad guys in the desert. they got to fight bad guys. And, and, and it's like, but most of the time, they're pretty much just fighting with themselves, huh? You notice who's not here? The devil. Like, Moses isn't, like, having lightsaber fights with Satan in the desert. That would be really cool. They should let me write parts of the Bible. Like, that would be awesome. Like, if Joshua was, like, you know, fighting orcs and demons and stuff, huh? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that read better? Then no. There is no evil force there. there there's no, we don't even really have a, a full description of Satan. Like, he's just still a snake in the garden. We don't know what's, well, we don't know what's going on. All we know is the Israelites, they're, they're just, screwing themselves and even at the edge of the desert like they're there 40 years of camping is just about over and they're going to cross over into the promised land and they, they self-sabotage again 12, 12 guys go in to, to scout the land out. And it's only Joshua and Caleb. It's like, oh my gosh, 
There's giants. There's huge fortified, fortified cities that have been there for thousands of years. There's these mass armies. This is awesome. We can do this thing. We got this. It was only two out of 12. The other 10 complainers and losers said, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land and we are bugs. We are grasshoppers. So their very perception of themselves, the very view of themselves was totally skewed. That's not even how God sees them. God sees, they're, they're, they're the children of God. An entire people group self-sabotaged their blessings. And we do it too. So I want, I'm going to push on your brains a little bit. This whole people group, I want you to, to don't think of it as the people group. Think of about it as one person. Think about the people of Israel as you. You were saved from slavery and bondage. If you haven't been, I'm looking at you all. You, always, you guys all look good. You guys all look like you're freed people. We have all been set free. Uh, who led the people of Israel, the children of Israel? Who led them into the desert? God did. And there was something that needed to be purged and purified and burnt out in them. Because there was some self-destructive negative forces, again, that were sinister, that needed to go away. And if you want to think about the children of Israel as yourself, think about the times. We've all done this. We're all totally guilty of this. Think about the times when you self-sabotaged and you derailed your own life. And it wasn't because you're stupid. It's because there's something else that's going on. Years ago, back in my college days, I've always been, um, like, academics has been my strong point. Not quite sure what my strong point is yet. I'm still working on that. But my, um, I've always been the C plus, B minus student. Always. Like, it was hard. Like, I mean, like, like learning and schoolwork, it, just, it, didn't, it was hard for me. It didn't come easy. Got a little bit of dyslexia. Got a little bit of attention stuff going on. You know, you know how it is for guys. Was diagnosed with dyslexia, by the way. It's like, what? No wonder I can't. You know, anyway, but you guys get it. But so, like, I actually had to work hard to get the C+. Like, the D's and the F's, like, those were always on the horizon. Like, that was always part of the game. Like, sometimes I was just working not to fail. You, you gotta get an amen there. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. And I don't even know how I got into college, but I did. It's a miracle of God that I ended up in college. And the same was true there. Like, it was hard. Like, I just, like, I, I had to suck it up. Where it came a lot, it came easy for other people. It was hard for me. Oh, poor Josh. Um, we got a new, when I was there, we had a new professor. And he came from a long line of academics. And he married into one of the most powerful academic families on the planet. Like the, guys that act, the guy that actually writes commentaries for commentators on the New Testament, Dr. Gundry. He's like a brain, like awesome. And so he married into that family. He came to our alma mater from Westmont, or from Harvard. So he was a Harvard professor, trained at Harvard, taught at Harvard, um, and, and 
was still on staff at Harvard. And so he begins like, oh, wow, this guy's amazing. And so, you know me, I'm a history guy. So I took the class and uh, I took his biblical archeology span class. And in that class, there was the valedictorian. There was all the smart girls. Then there was that savant who was like, like the dude could do anything. He was an artist, he was a painter, he was a composer. Uh, he could play Mozart forwards and backwards. He had entire sections of Shelley's poetry completely memorized by heart. Like the dude was like a savant, right? And so I'm in the class with these guys. And I'm not quite sure what it was, but I was just, you know, just doing what I usually do in the class. My professor calls me into his office one day, and he's like, Joshua, I don't know how to tell you this. He's like, you're at the top of the class. And the thing is that biblical archaeology, it came naturally to me. Like, it was easy. Like for the first time, something academic was easy for me because I could just, I understood the material culture, like objects. I could look at objects, I could tell you what time period they came from. I understood the strata, I, could, I understood the timelines. I understood, I even understood the language and I, and I, I like the history part of it. So it just, it just fit really well. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a chore. It just came naturally to me and I, I, I excelled at it. And so when the professor told me you're at the top of the game here. Like you're, you're acing the test, you're, 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 you're top of the class. You know what I did? I completely freaked out. Because I've never been at the top of the class ever for anything. I've never been at the top of anything ever. And it's like, I, this is, it messed with my mind so much. I freaked out so hard, like I went into full-blown party mode. I know, it's confession time here, but you need to know why I partied. I wasn't partying to have fun. I wasn't partying because I wanted to be naughty, although that did happen in college. No, 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 no. Something much more sinister was going on inside of my psyche. It's because I couldn't be one of those guys because the demand was too much. The only reason why I self-sabotaged is because I'm like, I can't, I can't be at the same level as the valedictorian. That's them, that's not me. Like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with that kind of attention or even, You'd run with those types of people. I don't know. I can't do this. I can't be seen this way. And don't get me wrong. It's not. It wasn't for. It wasn't because I was lazy that I self-sabotaged. And it wasn't because I wasn't competitive. Because you know I me. Mean, I'm a competitive guy. I don't like to lose. The, the competition wasn't the issue. And the issue was something else. It's like oh, I'm on this. I'm on this limb, and I'm gonna saw this limb off. I'm going to party, and I'm going to work really hard to drive this A-plus down to a B-minus. And I did. I worked really hard to get that grade down. <laughs> we do it, too. I mean, that's just one very simple example. Uh, who wants to go first, guys or gals? Guys. 
Come on, it's illustration time. Who wants to go first? Do boys? Let's do boys. Let's do girls. All right, so say that you're a single gal and you're just doing your job and you're just working through life and you know, you're, you're working on your career and it's getting done and you're going up that ladder and you're breaking ceilings and you're doing awesome. But you, okay, I'm getting there. Um, but it's hard. And one of the patterns of this world is to stick you in a cubicle, right? You've been stuck in a cubicle, and you're a single lady. Or you go to college, and you, you, you've heard this term? You put on the freshman 15. And it happens. It happens to the best of us. We put on too much weight when we get sedentary, and we fall into a pattern of this world. We fall into something that just totally you know, gets us all sideways and not the way we should be. And although you're cranking at your job, everything else is kind of falling apart. You, don't, you know, whatever. And so you're like, you know what? This sucks. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the diet, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to hit the gym. And then you start doing it. And then you, we, you begin to experience what we've been preaching about, the transformation. Maybe it's not the transformation, the spiritual transformation of the mind that we've been hitting on, but you're getting that, 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 that body transformation. And your clothes fit a little bit differently. And you carry your head a little bit higher. And you, you kind of like, you're starting and enjoying the, the endorphin rush and all that kind of stuff. And then something very strange happens. Again, you're a single lady. You attract the attention of a young man. And then you self-sabotage because that puts a demand that you might actually have to go into a relationship with somebody. And sometimes it's just easier to not have to do that. This is what it looks like for guys. You've been, you know, you have the same group of friends. You get together every week and you drink your beers. I don't know, at Chili's, okay? And you've been, you've been doing it with your high school buddies for years. And then again, it's that sedentary life where you're just hanging out too much and you're just drinking too many beers. And it's not about the alcohol. No, it's about your gut that's beginning to form underneath that table. <laughs> and you have this revelation. You're like, oh, dad, this sucks. Like what, like, what am I doing here? Why am I hanging out with these guys? Because the only thing that we're doing is, ready for this? We're complaining about our work, our provision, and we complain about our wives, right? And so eventually guys will get this epiphany, like, you know what, this, this is not good. And then, so they do the same thing. They hit the gym, they start the diet, um, you know, they, they go on a, a journey of self-improvement. You need to do this, man. You need to go on a journey of self-improvement. Like, unplug the video game and start watching TED Talks, get some books, like, start going to church regularly, like, transform your life. And then, again, once again, that transformation begins to take place. And then the confidence comes in, and you begin to think with a different mindset. You're not thinking with a mindset that says, you know what, I'm going to punch my time card, I'm going to hit the bar, and I hang out with the guys, I'm going to smoke some cigars, and then watch some football, I'm happy. You're not, right? Because there's more to this life than that type of a life. 
And so once your drinking buddies began to see the transformation take place, they, 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 they see that you're getting, your shoulders are back and they begin to carry yourself with a little more authority and you have a little more confidence going on and you're, you're, you know, you're not slouching anymore and like, like you, got the, you got the mojo back, yeah? You got the mojo back. What do your guy friends start doing? They start criticizing. They start making fun of you. Like, wh why would you even want to go for the promotion, dude? What makes you think that you're all that? What makes you think that you're better than us? It's the spirit of Korah. Hmm? And once you see the spirit of Korah get on your friends, you need to let the Lord open up the ground and eat them whole because they're not good friends for you. Some of us need to change our friends. Okay, if your friends cannot encourage you to become a better man or encourage you to become a better woman, it's time for new friends. Let them go. If they can't root for you, if they can't say, you know what, go after that promotion, get her. If they can't say, you know what, that chick, she's way out of your league, but you can do it. Those are the kind of friends you need. Not the ones that say, eh, well, just shut up and drink your beer. What is going on when we self-sabotage? It's more than just biblical stuff. Like it's full-blown, it's in our psyche, psychological mess deep inside of our souls. We see it in uh, Stockholm Syndrome. You know what Stockholm Syndrome is? It's when uh, somebody gets abducted or kidnapped and they're held for ransom, and they're in tight quarters for a very long time, the, the, the victim begins to sympathize and enjoy the company of their captors. It's a sickness, but it's documented. Uh, Patty Hearst had it. There's a gal, one of the most recent ones, there was a gal in Austria. Uh, she got abducted when she was eight years old, and this psychopath sicko locked, locked this girl in the basement for eight years and tortured her and raped her and abused her and all that for eight years. When she was 16, she, she had a chance, and... Uh, she just, she bolted. She, there was an open door, literally, and she bolted, and she, she wandered into some old lady's house, and I'm this gal I've been missing for I don't know how long. And she began the recovery process, and she got set free, yeah? Like literal freedom, right? She got set free. Do you know what she did when she became an adult? She bought the guy's house. The guy, you know, he's a psycho. He killed himself. But this gal, like this was messed with her mind so much. She bought the guy's house. And she goes and she visits it often. And there's even rumors that she might even move in. Do you, do you, do you see the condition of our minds? We're, we're not careful. It is a wilderness mentality that wants to return to slavery because it's easier because it's familiar. You, read, you know you want to write one reason why she bought the house? She says, because then I'm going to have, ready for this, pay attention. She says, because then I'm going to have some power over my pain. 
But it's so dysfunctional, isn't it? That we see it. But they say, you know what? I own this. I own this mess. So she literally owns her mess. Crazy, isn't it? She returned to Egypt in her mind. Have you heard of the term Uncle Tom? Harry Beecher Stowe's great American classic, Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's a story about an African-American slave who um, he has, he gets, Harry Beecher Stowe is a white gal. She's writing about this, so I know, whatever. Um, but so she paints him as being this virtuous, um, moral Christian slave who, because of his good behavior and because of his, um, his, his wisdom, uh, he eventually wins over the sympathies of his captors. Modern American uh, blacks are like, whatever. No, he needed to be set free from his bondage. He shouldn't have been so sympathetic towards his captors, right? So this is the, this is the area of, of, you know, whenever you hear somebody being called an Uncle Tom, it's because, like, they go into a relationship with the dysfunction that keeps them down because it provides a roof over their heads or provides them something, gives them security, gives them some type of power over their captors or whatever. Okay, here's, this one will really send it home. Do you understand the mindset that we can fall into? Now, the 2018 prison... Um, and the 2018 prison uh, redivisionism or whatever, I don't understand what it is, but uh, you can look this up. An estimated 68% of prisoners that were arrested, 68% of, of released prisoners are arrested within three years. So close to 70% of prisoners that get released, they, they get arrested within three years. 80% within six years and a whopping 83% within nine years. So almost a, a super majority of people that get released from prison, they end up back in prison. They go back to bondage. They go back to a system. Why do they do it? Well, so there's a lot of different, there's different factors and variables that are going on. One, they could possibly just be bad guys or bad gals, right? That, that's definitely one of the issues. But what we know what we can definitely prove is a lot of them go back because prison is just easier than the real world. The meals show up, right? The manna shows up. These young men, they get out in the real world, like, some of them commit crimes. They self-sabotage just so they can get locked back up. Right? So where does that put us? Where are you? Uh, well, again, if you are saved, you've got to go through the desert. You've got to go through the wilderness. God's calling you. The Holy Spirit leads us into the wilderness. He leads us in there to purge us of negative thoughts and negative behaviors, to literally kill stuff off, and you need to let him do it. You get right up to the promised land, and again, how do you step across that line? And again, some of us like, you know what? There's giants in that land. Here's the, here's the hard part. 
it's easier in the desert. It is easier in the desert than it is in the promised land. When Joshua crossed into the promised land, the manna stopped coming. The welfare check stopped showing up. And he does something very interesting. Again, he's at Jericho, one of the largest fortified cities the planet has ever seen. Like, what? And as he's there with his men, he's encountered by a soldier. And he goes, goes up to the guy. And he's like, I don't know whose team you're on. Are you on our side? Or are you on their side? And then there was something that took place where Joshua was able to see because the words began to come out of this angel's mouth. And he says, I'm on nobody's side. I am the commander of the angel armies of the Lord. And then Joshua hit his feet. And he says, what do I do? And he says, you're going to take, son, you're going to take your sandals off because now this is holy ground. That was the desert, but this is holy ground where you have been called to fright. And there was something that took place and Joshua was like, you know what, I can do this. Same thing happened with Caleb. When Caleb gets called into the little scouting trip that they took, Caleb's like, you know what? There's a lot of giants. There's a lot of big cities. There's a lot of armies. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. In fact, that's my mountain. He actually named his mountain. Isn't that cool? Before he got it, he's like, you know what? I have enough faith that that's going to be mine. And he earned it. The dude was like 85 years old, and he's killing giants. Come on. So when we get into the, the areas of the promised land, there's going to be somebody there. There's going to be a sentinel. There's going to be somebody standing there that you're going to have to deal with. The guy's name is Jesus. And his whole purpose is for you to say, look, you're going to step into some holiness. You're going to be on holy ground. You're going to take your sandals off. Incidentally, like, did you know that the Israelite sandals didn't wear out? Their clothes didn't wear out? That's kind of cool. Forty years of wearing the same shoes. What do you want for Christmas? I want some new shoes, right? Like, I know they're fine. Like, they're not worn out, but I would really like some new shoes. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. He was led by Jesus, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested, to test his mettle. Amazing. And after fasting 40 days, how many? 40. How long were the Israelites in there? 40 years. There's something about numbers. I don't quite understand it, but threes and forties and sevens, and they're all important. Pay attention to them when you read them. The tempter came to him and said, if, if, if you are the Son of God. He's doing that to you right now. He's saying, if, if you're really a Christian, yeah, let me tell you something. You are a Christian. Step into your identity. Amen. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's appealing to the flesh. Jesus says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on the very word, the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city. They stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, you will command angels concerning you, and they will lift, your, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him 
to a very high mountain, show them all the kingdoms of the world, uh, past and present. And all this will be, he said, will be given to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. We need to get into that language these days. When you are in the desert, you need to say, away from me, Satan. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended Jesus. All right. In the Old Testament, again, where is the devil? Again, they're not having lightsaber battles in the desert. Moses and the devil aren't dueling it out. Where are they? Where are the orcs? Right? In Revelation chapter 20, it says, God took the devil. Ready? that serpent of old and he threw him in there is a revelation that's taking place in Jesus's scenario in the desert he is revealing the evil one see look like if you electrocute yourself by floating your radio in a pool you deserve to be electrocuted right but if you self-sabotage, there is an evil spirit that is after you to keep you from your potential, to keep you from witnessing to others, to keep you from expanding his kingdom. They say that the devil is in the details, but what Jesus is proving to us in the temptation in the desert is that he's also in the desert. The devil is in the desert. And he manifests himself in the spirit of Korah that bubbles up and begins to complain and whine and gripe about everything. It manifests itself in the things that says, you know what? The good old days were a lot better where you could have some fish. Let me tell you something. The good old days weren't that good. The 90s sucked. Like, they, well, I don't know why we think that they were great. The 90s were terrible. The only good thing about the 90s was Pearl Jam, and that's about it. Like, it just was horrible. You forgot how bad it really was. And yet that, that evil, benevolent spirit comes in and says, you know what, it was better like it back then. So whatever you're doing right now, cut bait and just return to Egypt. Oh, my brothers and sisters, dear God, don't return to Egypt. Don't return to bondage because it's easier. Move into the promised land where it's harder and step in and claim your inheritance. What Joshua and Caleb, their attitude of their heart, is what Paul will highlight when he is chained to a column in a crap pit. He says that I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ gives me strength. And those are the two options that we have. We can either say and declare with our mouth and believe it with the heart. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Or we can do what, what Proverbs 23 says, as a dog returns to his vomit. Quit eating your own vomit and thinking that it tastes good. As a, as a pig wallow, a clean pig goes back and wallows in its own poop. Don't do that anymore. Don't just say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Take towers, take strongholds, take territory, grow, mature, be the person that God's called me to be. I can do all things.
And that's your message for today. All right, let me get the band, the ushers to come up to the front. Uh, I'm going to try something. Um, I can't, I'm not saying this is thus day with the Lord, but it's just, it's an, a little thought I have in my head. So I have a little statue over here I'm going to show you. Mm. And I haven't bought it, but maybe we can buy it. And so Nativity obviously is running. And, um, but Nativity only goes for four days, but we have this incredible set that sits empty. And so I thought it'd be cool just to be able to populate the set with figures, but they cost a lot of money. So I'm not saying that God's calling me to do this, but maybe he's calling you, I don't know. Uh, but if you want to throw in something extra, it has to be the Lord. I'm not saying this is a, anyway. I'm trying it, okay? And if it doesn't, you know, if we don't make enough money to, to buy the set, it will just go towards Nativity. Yes, we are charging this year. That's why I haven't been begging for money for Nativity this year, because we are charging. Like, we still won't be in the black on it. It's still going to cost us something, but it's just kind of how we roll. But anyway, um, think about that. If you want to give a gift towards a wise man bearing gifts, um, frankincense and myrrh don't count. <laughs> Cash money. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. God, right now, we just thank you so much for the renewing of our minds and the transformation that takes place and the transformation process that we find ourselves in. And God, right now, I pray that you would just reveal that, that, that serpent of old that is in our lives that keeps on plugging us, plugging us and holding us down and, and pushing those buttons that makes us self-sabotage. God, we recognize the enemy for what he's done in his life. He is the deceiver of, of, of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he has no part in our lives. So yes, God, where we blow it, we make our own mistakes, God. It's like 100% our responsibility. But it's also 100% the devil's fault. And we say no to him in the name of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that we will now see ourselves not as the failures that the children of God were when they were stuck in the desert for 40 years, camping and starving to death. I pray that we wouldn't see ourselves in that identity, but we will take on the identity of Christ, who did not fold in the desert. Jesus is, the, he is what the children of Israel should have been. He never complained. He never whined. He stood up to the devil and he said no. And so we do that today. I pray you bless this offering. We continue to advance the kingdom of God in your name. Amen.